There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. This is a story worth telling. It all started back in 1965 when Vatican II was introduced, which resulted in many changes, including the clearance of many church artefacts. St. Mary's Cathedral in Killarney was an example of how major changes were carried out to adopt the cathedral for its renewed liturgy. And not long after Bishop Amy Casey was appointed Bishop in Killarney that he started to carry out these changes. So he appointed an architect, DJ Kennedy Architects, to carry out these changes. So this is a story about salvaging 12 19th century brass chandeliers from St. Mary's Cathedral in Killarney. The light fittings are more properly termed electrolers as they were made for use with electricity. Carry seven lights each. There are twisted brass, stems, brackets and branches ornated with rosettes and were designed by Putin and made by Hardman and Company Limited metalworkers in Birmingham. A German church architect, Clemens Link, is the one responsible for saving these beautiful works of art from being lost forever in 1972. His daughter-in-law, Christa Link, explains. My father-in-law was an architect and he used to work a lot for the Catholic Church. He refurbished and restored churches and parish houses and kindergartens and all that kind of stuff. My father-in-law came to Killarney in the early 1970s with friends and he fell in love with the country straight away. (laughs) And he walked around Killarney and he passed Sean Coyne's windows, auctioneering, and he saw this house on display, went in. He had no English, and he made it clear he wanted to see the house. And that was the origin of our family here in Kilani. Um, it was when Bishop Casey was here, and he... Um, refurbished the cathedral and he threw out all the brass stuff and my father-in-law got it because he thought it was um, beautiful stuff and he didn't want it to be thrown away so he thought he might find a good place for it. My father-in-law came home with a tractor and a trailer full of brass and it was all bits and pieces broken, damaged and 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 my mother-in-law nearly got a stroke or a heart attack because of that. But he was adamant this was good stuff and he didn't want it to be thrown out. And that's why he kept it. Um, he eventually got killed in a church because a scaffolding broke down and three men got killed and he was one of them. 
So when Bishop A. McCasey became bishop in 1969, he set about raising funds to carry out renovations to the cathedral. Daniel J. Kennedy was appointed architect and J. Galvin and Sons were appointed constructors and work began in April 1972. You changed the cathedral quite, quite dramatically at the time. Well, not quite. It was, it was basically, I mean, it's one of the finest cathedrals in, in, in the country. And, I mean, and initially, it obviously needed, uh, what's, what's the word I want to use? Um, to be spruced up. That's not the word, to, that's not the correct word. But, you know, nothing had been done for a long time and a lot of what needed to be done on it. And, of course, obviously, what one, one does is one, one, one consults and finds architects, you know, to, 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 that that would be worthy of of the work, and I and I still think that they were, and I still think that they did they did a, a very 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 good job, but I mean, the dicers responded unbelievably. There was never a debt left after what we did to that cathedral, and it brought an awful lot of it back to life, because it, it, to, to use the word dowdy is not correct. You know, but it needed, it needed, right? Now, as you know, I've been criticised for the fact that we removed the plaster and exposed the stone. Now, the only point I want to make about that is I was 42 years of age. I had no experience whatsoever of building houses. I had, I was helping people to, to buy their own houses all over England, right? But that's a different kind of situation. So, obviously, what do you apply architects for? They're, they 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 are the specialists in that field. Now, I'm not in my defending myself. I have no intention of, I don't need to. I did what I thought was right. And when you imply top class, which I did, obviously, because they will advise you what's best for the cathedral. Mm-hmm. And I obviously accepted that advice. Looking back at that now, and looking at the cathedral as, as it is today, would you have made the same changes? I think I would, yes. Yes. But the point I'm trying to make to you quite clearly, every time you see it in the papers, you know, is Bishop Casey, the name of God, I knew nothing about architecture. I'd been looking after broken down houses and buying houses all my life. And I implied, I wish to God that someday they would go back and look and see who were the architects. And that's, they can say, if a mistake was made. I certainly was advised by them and I accepted their advice. I was no architect myself, not that I ever pretend to be one. The cathedral now is a matter of interest. I was an author by in the cathedral, actually, and I was very familiar with all the, with, with every facet and aspect of the cathedral, practically, in the sense of what you could see, and I was seeing it regularly, three or four times a week, from the age of probably 11 up to 14 or that. Sean O'Grady served on the Killarney Urban District Council. But um, I think he, I, I understand it. it was the... Vatican II and, and, and the diktat that came at a particular time from the 23rd by Bishop John, um, Pope John the 23rd, and who was a progressive Pope now and that, and I would have regarded him as being a, 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 an excellent an excellent man, an excellent leader of the Catholic Church. You know, the, 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 um, there was a lot of desecration done, actually. There was massive altar rails there, and there were marble that came from Italy, so far as I know. I wouldn't swear on that. I wouldn't know where exactly they came from. But I know very well that there was a lot of what I would call desecration, which we understood to be the raping of the of the, of the cathedral. Now, 
I, 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 I mean, look, Bishop, I mean, Casey was a progressive man himself in many, many ways, and I, I didn't want to to be to be critical of him because he he was very involved in the housing situation in in Slough in London where he served and I was um I was actually in a committee that he had appointed after he came back St Brendan's Trust which was to help people to get houses so he was very involved in a lot of very good work the idea of anybody outside of the church having any say in relation to what happened inside the church mm. would have been resisted and would have been not not certainly not welcomed. First, now I know what what emanated from from the department in relation to the heritage council and and what could be saved and and all that went with it, um, and how it affected the ch- how it would, could affect the church and and it, as I said, the church resisted. But it was a debate and it was a debate of discussion in the council about in the council at the council meeting one night, and uh, I had backed the idea like that it was a good thing to have the. Um, to have the, the Hedges Council having a say in relation to what happened in churches. Alex White, a church architect from Cork City, expresses his views on the restoration that was carried out to the cathedral. St Mary's Cathedral in, in Killarney is, is, is another form of disease, which I'd call Scandinavian healthy stone and brick and exposed timber. Whereas, in fact, I mean, say the the way that Pugin was thinking and working was to do with the smooth surface of plaster, and the tragedy there is that in this part of the world, being Kerry, Cork, magnificent plasterers, mm-hmm. great tradesmen. Killarney-based architect Harry Wallace took over responsibility for restoration work to the cathedral after his predecessor, Daniel J. Kennedy Architects, were finished with their restoration work to the cathedral. Carried out by Mr. Kennedy, an architect in Tralee, uh, when the interior was stripped of its, of its rent plastering and so on like that. Did that leave much of a mess? I mean, was that... Well, a... well it didn't leave a mess, but what it did is it took away a lot of the, of the um, neo-Georgian detail that was on the interior of the building. And of course, as you know, the entire altar was changed as well to conform to the new liturgy. So there was a lot of very interesting material and interesting uh, architectural vernacular taken out of a particular restoration period, if you know what I'm trying to say. But um, on the other hand, the building is not necessarily the worst for it, because now you see it in its purest structural form, which is quite magnificent, as you know. Whatever happened to the tiles that were there prior to those tiles? You know, the the the, the huge no tiles. That was yeah. long before my time. Yeah, I have no idea. And there were the tiles in the in sanctuary area were another problem because they were part of the original building, but they had been very badly damaged and some badly mispla- uh, replaced as well. So rather than hack that up and destroy it, what I did is I carpeted all areas so it's still protected underneath now. I see. Yes. Because one of the basic principles of conservation work is not to do anything that cannot be undone. Mm -hmm. So by laying the carpet, you only lift the carpet off and you're back to the original floor again if you ever succeed in restoring it properly. And um, I don't think Mr. Pugin would have been particularly upset about what happened in recent times. Well, Augustus Welby Northmore Pugin, to give him his full name, was my great-great-grandfather. Jane Milden, based in Minute in County Kildare. Um, Pugin had a number of children. 
one of whom was Catherine, born 28th of November, 1841, by coincidence the same as my birth date, um, 28th November. And she married a Dublin doctor by the name of Austin Meldon. And Austin and Catherine had a son, George. George and his wife had a son, Anthony, and Anthony was my father. So it's a direct it's a direct connection. What is what is striking about him and you know I think makes him stand out is the attention to detail and the fact that you know if you take either a building like Cheadle or if you take the Palace of Westminster and the interior decoration every aspect of it was carefully worked out and on the drawings Pugin would have penciled in exactly what colour was to be used. Every single aspect was mm. part of his, you know, his design work. He didn't, you know, leave some elements to other people to 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 um, deal with. So that attention to detail was something that I think he learned early on through his parents' drawing school. And his his first interest was uh, was sketching castles. And and that very quickly led to sketching churches and yeah, and, and yeah. that medieval uh, Gothic revival. I mean, is that how it all came together? Well, he he was um, he started to well part of again his father was working on these publications and and. Um, Part of the the work um, involved going to visit all of these buildings, including Gothic buildings, and Pugin became absolutely enamoured with them from a very early age. And um, that led to his obsession with Gothic. It was more than an interest, it was absolutely an obsession. So, you know, there was no other way really for him to go other than Gothic mm-hmm. revival. And of course, that was, you know, starting to go in. But the earlier Gothic revival was very different from, you know, what Pugin did. And Pugin was, the, he, well, he was the forerunner, really, of the, you know, of Gothic revival um, in England, um, as we know it. Um, Strawberry Hill was earlier, but that was very different. Um, and it was his his absolute obsession with Gothic buildings and his attention to the detail of the Gothic buildings mm. that greatly influenced his work later. He established relationships with a few key craftspeople. John Hardman was not only a collaborator, he was also a good friend, more so than the others. So they had a very good relationship all through. And um, um, I'm not sure how he met um, Hardman initially, but Hardman became the person who did designed, did carried out most of Pugin's metalwork designs and stained glass, and uh, so it was hugely important. I'm priest of the Archdiocese of Birmingham, and I'm currently the dean of St Chad's Cathedral. Father Brian Doolan. The Pugin Hardman connection. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Pugin was brought in by Monsignor Henry Weedle, the president of Oscar College, together with Bishop Walsh, the Vicar Apostolic, to work on the um, new buildings of the college at New Oscott, which were opened in 1838. Now, the Hardmans were involved in that as leading Catholics in Birmingham, um, and it was in all that that Pugin met John Hardman, Jr., 
they were about the same age, they became great friends. Um, Pugin, therefore, um, b- became a friend of the Hardman family. The Hardmans had a small metalworking business, what in Birmingham we call toy making, making small ornamental metal items like brooches and buckles and snuff boxes. Um, Pugin persuaded John Hardman Jr. to open up another factory to produce metalwork to his designs for Oscar College, for the cathedral, for the Houses of Parliament and the other commissions he was getting. Uh, And that collaboration um, took off. And then subsequently in 1845, um, John Hardman moved then into the production of stained glass to Pugin's designs. But another important connection is that John Hardman Jr.'s nephew, John Hardman Powell, who had been trained as an apprentice at Elkington's, the great silver and plate people here in Birmingham, went to Ramsgate to live with Pugin as his only pupil and to be trained by Pugin as a designer. Um, While he was there, he fell in love with and married Pugin's eldest daughter, Anne. So as well as this close professional connection, the two families became linked. Many years afterwards, I talked to you, Morris, and I asked you, do you think we can do something with it? The German family in Killarney, the links stored these brass chandeliers for 34 years. And in 2006, I piled them all into a van and brought them to Birmingham. Well, Morris, welcome. Thank you for coming over from Ireland. Um, here we are in Lightwood's house in Birmingham. Um, my name's Neil Phillips, the custodian of John Hardman and Company. But the, the, the studio is in itself like a museum. I, it, everywhere you look, you have mm. extraordinary pieces. And it creates that atmosphere, a lovely atmosphere to work in, isn't it? I, 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 I've, I'm yet to come across anywhere like it. It's, I, I visit studios all over the world and... Um, all most of them have been narrowed down to a functional um, production line and I, I completely understand why because if you want to survive financially you have to cut all the other stuff out all the the, the extras and the you know the, but but how how we've managed it I really don't know I mean we've we've just clung to the wreckage and we're here we're still here and I think more the more that people see of what we've done. Um, well, you you arrived here yesterday. You arrived here this morning with with the sunlight coming through the original windows, the original Pugin windows, the original EW Pugin windows, the windows depicting the medals that Hardman won in the great exhibitions, the relic holders, the tabernacles, the chalices. It's they all were made for other places. A lot of those, the place for which they were made no longer exists and the function of the building may have changed. But at least here you've got... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a treasure chest of archive, but not only paper archive. It's metal archive, metalwork, brassware, gold, silver. The paper archive alone... It, for me, it's just worth having it accessible to people. Well, here we have the, the, the metalwork catalogues, which um, John Hartman Powell was Pugin's only real pupil. And he, he, he's very un, un, unsung because he, he, 
he was taught, Putin took him into his home to teach him um, the, the, his skills. And this is the catalogue which followed very shortly after Putin's death. So John Hardman Powell, far from remaining in limbo or, or, or in depression from the death of this genius, took it to much further heights and to a much wider audience, realised the commercial implications. And in 1857, 1858, 1860, these catalogues were the selling catalogues. And it became an ex a phenomenon of, 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 of sales of, of, of quite impractical items. But on the back of it, they, 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 they just advanced. And John Hardman Powell went on 30, 40 years of, of producing these enormous quantities of fine works. All the andirons, all the grates. If you look at the light fittings, um, which are on, on, the, on the front of Parliament, um, you'll see that the, uh, there's, 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 a, there's a similarity here with some of the early fittings from Killarney in the black, black painted iron. There he is, Augustus Pugin, quite short, used to wear a, a, a sailor's hat and, a, and, and a, um, a coat with very deep pockets, travelled really with no luggage, would always give his shirt away and buy a new one rather than carry one with him. He had no time. Some of the drawings are magnificent. I'm looking at the, the root screen, mm, mm. Uh, which was designed for the cathedral in Killarney. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? One of my f the most stunning drawings we have is of the new screen, or what was considered the new screen for Killarney Cathedral. There's enough information on this one drawing for the manufacturer. This is not a proposal. This is actually a working drawing as well as, as, well as being probably exhibited in the cathedral or, or in, in, in the architect's office before a decision was made. What I think is marvellous about it is just the tiny detail. It's obviously a very accomplished drawing, but it's the, the little flames on top of the candles which are flickering in the wind. And, and really, that's, it's just that sort of charm that, that, that Hardman's men brought, in, brought into the, the scheme. Something designed by Putin that never made Killarney. Well, I, I think this is a later scheme. Uh, this is not part of the original scheme. Um, it, it would be very interesting to see in the archive how far it got, because it would not get to this fully coloured stage without having quite a strong possibility of being manufactured. It just wouldn't have been done. Um, and there was always a big fight over the introduction of rude screens. I mean, St. Chad's Cathedral, um, Pugin was walking off-site because the rude screen which Hardman was Of course, was this to... was separating the mass and the priest from the, from the congregation. Absolutely, but they were trying to follow the, the true Gothic principles of architecture. Pugin did quite a lot of work in Ireland, and um, Killarney was always something of which he was very proud, though, of course, it was never completed to his original plans and designs. Father Brian Doolan. But it is a stunning building, and, of course, in the most wonderful setting. Um, the whole place um, is just so thrilling and exciting. Um, it's high-quality architecture. And, as you say, Pugin wasn't 
under the same kind of restraints there um, in, in the, that he was in, in some places in England. Um, in England, he had the support of Lord Shrewsbury, who was a very generous benefactor to the Catholic Church. But clearly, um, certainly in Killarney at that time, even though the, the church in Ireland was only beginning to come out of its difficulties, there was clearly um, not unlimited funds, but there was quite a lot of money available, and the bishop wasn't interfering with what he did and how he did it. And so he did produce what is always regarded as one of his... Um, finest works, and um, uh, um, and one which I've always admired and loved. The cathedral in Enniscorthy, a very fine building, begun about 1842. Um, and then, of course, you have the cathedral in Killarney, which was begun around then, but was ab- seriously interrupted by the famine. And it's interesting, the contrast between Killarney, Wexford and Maynooth, all of which were works that were, you know, started or ongoing during the famine. Uh, Killarney was much more affected than the other two. Uh, Enniscorthy, to some extent. Maynooth, not at all. The building proceeded. Maynooth is interesting. It was Pugin's largest work in Ireland. The um, seminary buildings, um, Peel, through, you know, you know, through the British Parliament, had given, um, made the money available for the extension to the seminary to go ahead. Pugin was appointed again through the influence of Shrewsbury. Yes, well, Pugin um, designed a church and he was absolutely insistent that everything he designed, it was in the building, had to be in his design and under his supervision. But it was really during the time that Pugin lived in Salisbury um, that he became totally captured. He used to spend hours in Salisbury Cathedral admiring it, doing drawings. He also then went off on trips on his boat to the continent and travelled very widely and became the great um, exponent of Gothic as what he regarded as the only truly Christian form of architecture. And it inspired his writings, a book called Contrast, which was a great polemic work of the time, um, and others. Um, and And he also, on his travels, as well as coming back with huge quantities of detailed drawings. He also collected items at the cathedral. We have an amazing collection of medieval Gothic woodwork, which he mostly from Flanders, about 15th century, which he collected um, from Belgium and France and, and Germany on his travels, because the continent was awash with all this stuff at the time, which had been looted from churches following the French Revolution. Um, and he brought all this back to use as models for himself and for the for people who were making um, these things. And so the, the Gothic, Pugin's Gothic revival was deeply rooted in and based on medieval precedents. But at the same time, it's very much his interpretation of it. Um, he wasn't a copyist. He was a man of great um, creativity and very innovative in many ways. So that you can look at something and say, yes, this is real quality Gothic revival Pugin. And during my visit, I was quite anxious to talk to some of the metal workers and the stained glass artists. So I spoke to David Cowan. Can I talk to some of... We're not actually actually doing the stained glass at all. (laughs) (laughs) What are you working on? (laughs) 
We're doing uh, a sample. Uh, well, we're doing. We've got to match up to Fusion's shields in Ramsgate. Mm. The shields and the fireplace in Ramsgate. So what we're doing now. Francis Presbytery. Yeah. yeah. So what we're doing is reproducing the same sort of painting, same style of painting. Fusion's. Uh, and how how long have you been working on on uh, doing this kind of work? I'm doing too many stained glass for about just over 40 years, 41 years. Started at Armand's in 65, 1965, straight from school. I was 15. Give me an idea of some of the uh, type of stained glass windows you would have worked on. I worked on uh, stained glass windows for Rockhampton Cathedral in Australia, uh, Sydney Cathedral, um, Restoration of St Chad's. Uh, there's various cathedrals and churches all over the world, really. I mean, put me on the spot, I can't even think. There's that many, we've done that many over the years. It's uh, difficult to pinpoint one. Um, so uh, uh, just give me an idea, how much of an expert do you need to be to uh, to work with stuff like that? Is it, uh, is it very intricate work? Is it? Uh... Well, it's a, long tra- it's a long apprenticeship. I mean, I started, say, in 65, and it was about a seven years apprenticeship, really. And there's the old masters of the uh, Victorian sort of breed, if you like, when I started. So I learned all off the, off the old masters, of two old masters, and uh, just took it from there, really. This is where a lot of the um, intricate drawing uh, goes on. Indeed. Where the work goes on and is done in exactly the same way as it always was. In St. Jad's Cathedral, there is a window designed by John Harden and Powell, which is called the Glass Worker's Window. And it was made and given by the employees of Hartman's um, because, as a thank offering for their involvement in the building and work in the cathedral. And the bottom panels show four men working in the studio, doing drawing the cartoon, cutting out the glass, painting the glass, and firing it. Um, they put their own portraits in. Um, but watching the men at work in here today. They're doing it exactly the same way that those men were doing it in that window of the 1850s. And they put them back together. They replaced the pieces and then you started talking to the parish. And exactly one year later, in 2007, I returned again to Hardman and Company where I found the 12 light fittings all cleaned polished, restored and fitted with glass shades. I returned to Killarney and they are now hanging from the rafters in St Mary's Cathedral in Killarney for which they were originally designed. I'm Maurice O'Keefe and I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's podcast. For further information, visit our website that's www.irishlifeandlore.com I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week.